I bought a big box of Depends. I brought them home. I said, look at the new underwear that the NFL has for retired players. And he said, oh, okay, let me try them on. He tried on one pair. He went over to the mirror. He patted his stomach and his back. And he said, hey, these are nice. This is Crow's Feet, a place where we ponder the question, are these our golden years or does aging just suck? Well, yes, getting older is not for the faint-hearted, but aging also brings wisdom and humor, a finely tuned perspective on life. In our podcast, you'll meet writers and others rethinking our later years, people who inspire us to reimagine our future. John Mackey played like Hollywood's creation of a pro football player. He transformed a team game into an individual sport. John Mack Truck Mackey, who was carved in stone, should be cast in bronze as the first tight end in the Hall of Fame. I thank the Hall of Fame dinner this evening, the organization of Gridiron Greats for all they did for my family when we were facing this devastating disease. As I humbly accept the award, I really want to try to carry on the mission of my husband. This is really, really for him. And yes, I have lost the love of my life, but I have not lost the life in the love that I have for him and his legacy. Thank you so much for sharing this moment with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Melinda Blau, a journalist and your host for today's Crow's Feet podcast. And that was my friend Sylvia Mackey in 2014 when she was named Woman of the Year. I often say that real life is more amazing than anything I can invent. Sylvia's story proves my point. In 2001, when her husband, the legendary John Mackey, was diagnosed with dementia, Sylvia was relieved. She finally had a reason for John's bizarre behavior. She was 60, had launched a new career as a flight attendant, and now had to oversee John's daily care. And when she realized that other retired players were also suffering from costly and debilitating neurological diseases, she took on the mighty NFL. But let's hear this amazing story from the delightful and indomitable woman who lived it. Welcome, Sylvia Mackey. Thank you, Melinda. Very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So clearly you love to have fun. Yeah. And you enjoy people and you can talk to anyone. So I get why you're well suited to the work, but being a flight attendant involves long hours, layovers, delays, lots and lots of hard work. So what keeps you going? Because I don't feel like I'm the old lady on the crew at all. There's some 20 years younger than I, even 30 years younger than I, who might be the old lady on the crew. (laughs) That's great. And then I pick her up and drag her along because to me, it's not hard work. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy all of it. That's part of what goes along doing it. And I'm so happy mentally that I physically can do all of it very easily. You decided to enroll in flight training when John first started acting strangely. Tell me a little bit about that time. And and I know that you also said 
that it made you angry at first? At first, I noticed that he became what I call lazy. We were riding on a flight from Los Angeles to New York, and he didn't pick up a newspaper, a magazine, or anything. He was just staring. Then when we got back home, he was just sitting around. He was watching television. He was saying silly things. When I would mention, gosh, we need to take care of the taxes. And he would say, oh, Marty, who was our accountant. He says, oh, don't worry about it. Marty will take care of it. And I said, no, we have to give him the material to do what he has to do. And then I would say, by the way, what about our health insurance? One of us needs a job with a big corporation that provides a regular paycheck, health insurance, and other benefits that go along with a regular job. And he would just stare at me like, you know, what's wrong with Sylvia? So there was an ad in the Los Angeles Times when they had employment sections, and it said, we are looking for bilingual flight attendants. I'd majored in French at Syracuse. The interview was being held the next day, a hundred miles away. It also was coming to where I lived in Long Beach, but not for two weeks. But I decided I'll show him. I'll take the hundred mile ride. I'll go out there. I'll interview for this. The main purpose was to show him that you had to get up off your ass and go right in there for this interview. Well, lo and behold, things followed along. I got the job. Then the French speaker at United called to test my French. And I passed that, although I prepared for it. You know, I wrote some things out that I could read real fast because I was still rusty. I passed that test. They said, come to training. I, I couldn't believe it. Here I am in this job that never to this day has seemed like a job. And so meanwhile, John, during this time, while you were training and you were showing him, what one of the bad moments for you was when he forgot he had a sister. Yes, he had a phone call and he said, oh, no, I don't have a sister. And I could tell by the way he said it, he really thought he didn't have a sister. That made me just sit up and go, oh, my God, something must really be wrong. And when he got off the phone, I reminded him of all the talk about his sister, Inez. And he just looked at me like he didn't know what I was talking about. And then the day he went outside and his car was gone. We don't live like that cars being repossessed in our family or anything like that. I realized that's what had happened. He hadn't paid the car note, but he came back inside and he called a friend and said, I just donated my car to charity. Oh, wow. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Another one was when I started using language with him that he would never accept. And I escalated it as the conversation went on to see if I could really make him angry. And I found that I was the only one who was becoming angry because I couldn't get a peep out of him. It was like he didn't care. So you were so, cursing at him. You don't have to tell me what the word you No, used. I'm not. That's why I'm being... <laughs> yeah, exactly. The old John, the healthy John would have said, Sylvia, why are you talking like this? And this John didn't even bat an eyelid. Oh, no. The old John would have lashed back at me with everything short of slapping me. He never hit me. You finally got him to a doctor. When did I, I understand you didn't get the diagnosis right away either. Yes. Well, 9-11 happened. And after that, I was uh, furloughed from my job for 90 days. And it was almost like something was telling me, this is the time to find out if and what is wrong with your husband. When I brought John to a doctor, I would tell John that I was going to the doctor for me and that I wanted him to accompany me. And then we would sit there and talk and the doctor could see, you know, something wrong with him. Except the first doctor I took him to was almost angry with me for bringing the great John Mackey in there. So there's something wrong with me even after he interviewed John. So then I took him to another one who was a psychiatrist 
who definitely figured out that something was wrong, but wanted to have John go to a waiting room in a hospital and people would come out and drag him into the hospital because John would not take normal tests. That's a walk into an office where you get a needle to get him really tested. I took him to the UCLA psychiatric geriatric ward. They took him in and I could see him through a screen where he couldn't see me. And he thought he was there to sign autographs. So he was walking around the room, smiling, shaking hands. And after four days, I picked him up. They told me he was diagnosed with frontal temporal dementia. And there's no medicine for that. As I recall, John was about 220 pounds. and he Exactly. Was, I mean, he was the kind of guy who could, what, what was the year that he made that spectacular Super Bowl catch? Back to throw again. Sets up. Fires out left side. Incomplete. Taken by John. Goes off the fingertips of the intended receiver. Bounced into the hands of John Mackey, and he goes in for the touchdown. You know, you're taller than me, Sylvia, but you're not a big woman. So it's amazing. Tell me about some of the things you did to to get him to comply because there had to be medicine and there had to be a a new regimen. I found out that everything and anything mandated by the NFL worked for him to do what I wanted him to do. When his medicines came, if he didn't take a needle, You know, he wasn't going to take pills. He didn't believe in any kind of pills or anything like that. So when his medication came through the delivery service, because I had a job and could get medication delivered like that, I ran in the kitchen. I said, go to the bathroom. I took the pills out of the box and I handed him the letter that came with it. I said, oh, here's a package from you. And look, it's from the NFL. And he didn't even notice that the letter wasn't from the NFL. I just flashed it across his face and I read it. And I said, these uh, medications are for retired players. And before I could even finish, and he said, it's from the NFL. I said, yes. He said, bring me a glass of water. So he started taking his medication every day. I put it in a pill, but I cut the logo off of uh, a piece of NFL stationery, taped it to the uh, pill box because I was still flying and he could still get along at home by himself. And I would call him daily to say, get your NFL pill box and take your pills. And he'd go right away. Yes, I will. Same thing with depends. It's inevitable that people in this condition, years down the road, you don't know when it's going to happen, are going to become incontinent. So um, I bought a big box of depends. I brought them home. I said, look at the new underwear that the NFL has for retired players. And he said, oh, okay, let me try them on. He tried on one pair. He went over to the mirror. He patted his stomach and his back. And he said, hey, these are nice. So that problem was solved. When it happened, I didn't go through the frustration that most people put themselves through. They can't believe that this adult loved one is going to soil themselves. Right. And they become angry with that person. I said in the beginning of the show that when you got the diagnosis, you were relieved because you at least had a reason for John not being John anymore. Exactly. I was so relieved. It was like, okay, now I know that life has to take a different direction. I'm not going to pretend that it's going to get better because it's not. I have to learn how to deal with the progression or digression, digression of the person, but the progression of the disease as time goes on. But the first thing I had to do was move out of California and move back to Baltimore, which made our quality of life better because everybody in Baltimore still knows the great John Mackey. Ravens recognize the old Baltimore Colts that are here. Uh And it was a good five or six years. 
before he passed away that we lived in Baltimore and he could enjoy signing autographs, fans running after him, uh, being paid to be at parties because he played with the Baltimore Colts, things like that. After John got sick, I remember we met in Miami and to me, he seemed normal until I realized he was repeating everything he said over and over again. Right. And he didn't do it that day, but you told me sometimes he'd walk past the dessert tray yeah. and he would just take it as if it was his tray. Right. And people would look at him and nobody would fight him. And then I'd have to make an excuse. But as much as you plan and as much as you kind of used your brain and your creativity to make life somewhat normal, there were some very scary incidents. So tell us the time in the airport. Going through security. And I had even hired a private detective to go with me. When John saw all those people in uniform standing there and had to walk through the and he had to walk through the metal detector, he took off running and ran through it. Well, didn't they ask him to take off his Super Bowl rings? And that's what it was. That's part of it. Yes. Before he ran through it. No, he wasn't going to take them off because he thought everybody was trying to steal them. So he ran through it. They knocked him to the ground. And I'm screaming, don't kill him, because that was not too long after that person was shot dead in Miami, who was mentally ill when he had gotten on a plane. You were a, a flight attendant at this point. You knew the protocol. I know that they have the right to shoot and kill anybody who runs through the uh, security checkpoint without stopping. But it was Baltimore and they knew it was John Mackey, the great John Mackey. And that's where I got my break, because instead of their taking him to jail, they called an ambulance and they took him to a hospital. He had no awareness, though, of what at that point. Oh, no, he was in the ambulance talking to them, showing them the ring. When we got to the hospital, he jumped out of the ambulance first, went into the emergency room and started signing autographs, showing people the rings. In fact, I was a basket case. The doctors came out and looked at me to get my blood pressure. I said, no, it's it's not me. It's not I. You know, it's, it's my husband who's walking through the emergency room right now. Oblivious. You're listening to the Crow's Feet Podcast and my conversation with Sylvia Mackey. We're talking about her crusade to support former NFL players struggling with brain trauma. One of my favorite stories, it reminded me of Cheers, where everyone knows your name. This was the Mount Washington Tavern. And you made a deal with the bartender. Yes. John loved wine, but he could not handle alcohol anymore. So they ordered and stocked what they called John's wine. It was non-alcoholic wine that they kept on the shelf. And when he would ask for a glass of wine, they would pour it from that. And every bartender knew it the minute he came in the bar. And he had his seat at the bar. If somebody was sitting in and they saw John with his cowboy hat, his signature cowboy hat, they would automatically get up and John would sit down. So everybody knew him. Right. And you you gave him his $20 bills. And he could leave a tip. Right. Tell us about how you realized what you were going through was happening in other NFL homes of, you know, with with other wives. I was able to take John back to the Hall of Fame every year that he could go. And I noticed that many wives were asking me questions about his behavior. And I could tell by on their faces that they were wondering if maybe their husbands weren't displaying the same behavior. And then it came out that year that Joe Perry 
was suffering from Alzheimer's. Pete Pihos was suffering from Alzheimer's. In fact, Pete said to me, Sylvia, they say there's something wrong with me. They, they call it Alzheimer's or something. Well, he was right. And th- I thought, this isn't just a coincidence. There are too many here with this. Let me call the attention to the league. And so I wrote a really heartfelt letter to the commissioner, Paul Tagliabue. He read my letter to his wife and she cried. And he wrote a handwritten letter in black ink back to me that they were going to do something. And a few weeks later, they sent two people down from the NFL office to tell me that the next day in USA Today, it was being announced that they were coming out with the ADA plan to take care of all players with Alzheimer's and dementia. Then Roger Goodell picked up the ball when he came to see John in the facility where John was here in Baltimore. And I said, Roger, you know, we need to add ALS and Parkinson's. And that was done. What are the four? So it's Alzheimer's, dementia, ALS, and Parkinson's, neurological diseases. A lot of your inspiration actually came from the way John lived his life. Exactly. To help others, to make sure that the right thing was done for the players, because he didn't like players were being treated in general. For example, there was a fellow who died, Frank Buncombe. He died. He was a San Diego Charger. He died when John was playing. And he actually heard the commissioner, not any of the commissioners I've mentioned before, uh, Pete Roselle, say, now they don't have to pay him his salary. And John said, that's not right. His wife should get that salary for this year. He died in the locker room, by the way, Frank Buncombe did. And that made him so angry that he fought for the rights for other players. You have this great love story with John and you both had success, but also you were very civic minded and you cared about other people. It's amazing because a lot of people in your position would have said, you know, we've made it. That's it. Not John Mackey. He's even known for uh, helping out in the riots in 1968 in Baltimore. He and Lenny Moore felt that people in a big group in a certain area needed food and they made sure that restaurants supplied food to calm the crowd down. And they were in the newspaper for that. They still talk about that to this day sometimes. He always wanted people to be treated fairly. I, I see now sometimes people just don't speak up. And I, so I feel like I have to speak up for them, even with something I'm going through right now with flight attendants. Yeah, the right thing has to be done. You, you single-handedly challenged a very old and entrenched culture of the NFL. Right. You're you're still flying the now sometimes not so friendly skies. <laughs> so what what's next for you at, at 81? I don't know. I'm not ready to retire. I mean, when people say, when are you going to retire? And I say, give me one reason, just one. They don't say to you, oh, it's so hard. You don't need to work that hard anymore. I enjoy what I do. One said, don't you want to stay home and play with your grandkids? Yeah, my 30 year old grandkids. Yeah. I have one that's 12. He lives right here in Baltimore, and he loves Coco the way she is. He can't understand why I'm not one of the Ravens cheerleaders. Wait, Coco is you? Yeah. That's your nickname? Yeah, that's my grandma name. Oh, oh that's that's your grandma name? That's what they call me. as. Yeah, when I have my first grandchild, um, Cole, C-O-L-E is my maiden name, so Coco fits perfectly. And I haven't uh-huh. been in fashion and called Coco Chanel sometimes, so they call me Coco. Oh, that's well, great. Why aren't you one of the Ravens cheerleaders? I said, if you, you see me like that, hey, okay. <laughs> I have to tell listeners that during the pandemic, when Sylvia couldn't fly, 
She said she was still practicing wearing her stilettos as she walked around in her bathrobe at home. Don't don't want to get out of the good feel of that. I remember reading, after 50, you should not be wearing stilettos. After 40, you should not be wearing a mini skirt. It's however you feel. What has surprised you about aging? I know you don't um, feel old. I didn't say what surprised you about being old. I said, what surprised you about aging? Oh, gosh, that you really can feel if you take care of yourself, that you, that's not surprising, that you can feel younger than you are. Don't listen to what people say you're supposed to be doing at a certain age. I don't know why people say that. Um, but it's also taking care of yourself. It's also being fortunate. You can call that. Some people call it lucky. Some people call it blessed. And everybody isn't blessed or lucky or fortunate in the same way. Right. So when you see the good that you like to do, keep doing it. Don't let anybody tell you. You shouldn't be doing that because you're too old to do it. Right. That's not a good enough reason. If you feel it and you want to do it, do it. Is there anything you're still trying to figure out or you haven't yet figured out? I haven't figured out what at what age I want to retire. And when I do, what I'm going to do after I retire. Sure. I'll be busy, maybe more classes, maybe totally learn another language. Um, what I want to do afterwards, I don't know. Even now, when you are working as a flight attendant, you're also giving talks all over the country, as I recall, to spouses. It's not always women, but it's a lot women. Certainly in the NFL, it's all women. But you give to the Alzheimer's. You've won several awards for your activism. So I don't think you'll ever be bored, Sylvia. No. In fact, I don't know what bored is. When it hits me, maybe I'll know. But I've never been bored, even during COVID. So I have to ask this. Was your mother uh, a good role model? Oh, she was the best. Ah. She always believed in seeking education. That's why I'm still, I speak French, but I'll, I keep taking French. I know I'll never speak like a native, but I want to have all the words in my head that would come out like a native, but I know I'll always have an accent. That's okay. As long as I get my point across. Always be trying to achieve something, set a goal and follow it. My mother lived to 98. Got so good graduated from Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts in 1934. She was very proud of that. And she was always active in the Association of University Women and other groups into her old, old age. And is there anything that you would go back now and tell your younger self? I don't know what I would have done differently. Right. I never in high school thought I'd be married to a football star and be a model and all the things my mother told me you shouldn't be, you know, a flight attendant, and who would have thought it? I, I had no idea. You, you took the opportunities. Yes, and part of it is because John said, never say no to something you might have an interest in or somebody tells you that you can do. Never just say no until you've tried it and know if you like it or, and if you can do it. Because that's how I started modeling. We were at the, a party at the Hilton Hotel for the opening of the Hilton in Baltimore, brand new. And a lady walked up to me and said, you look like a model and I'm doing a show. Will you be in it? And he jabbed me in the side with his elbow and said, tell her yes. So as much as you supported John and you were a wife on the sidelines, you had your own life and he supported you in your life. After I'd had three children, and I started taking birth control pills and people were telling me, oh, you're going to get fat. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. I was so determined I was not going to get fat. I lost 40 pounds on the pills. And that's when the lady said, you look like a model. And I went, after John jabbed me in the side, 
said, tell her yes, that was it. So I defied that. I wasn't, I, I was too vain to gain weight. <laughs> I said, I'll show them I'll lose weight. And right. I did. Well, I, I look forward to your next 20 years, Sylvia, and I hope I'm around to see it as well. Thank you. But me too. You're a very, very special woman. And I know you've helped a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people who have suffered their, their family. The whole family suffers. I mean, we know this, that yeah. it's not just the caretaker, it's everybody. And, and I've and been told at the Hall of Fame or at other football events, strangers have hugged me and said, you don't know what you did for my family all the way down to my grandkids. Wow. Well, the grandkids who are now adults will say, oh, my God, you, you're Sylvia. Oh, my God, you don't know what you did for us. There's no better paycheck than right. that, right? Yeah, the one who said now I could go to grad school instead of being home to take care of Pop Pop. That's so, amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank Sylvia, you. thank you. This has been really terrific. And, thank you. Um, I know that people will love your story. And we're going to hear more about Sylvia Mackey in the years to come, I'm sure. Thanks for listening to the Crow's Feet podcast produced today by me, Melinda Blau, a Crow's Feet writer. Our show's executive producer is Nancy Peckenham with help from our team, Nancy Franklin, Betsy Allen, Warren Turner, Lee Bench, Jan M. Flynn, Jean Feldeisen, and Jane Trombley. Editing and sound design by Rich Halton. Our original theme music was written and performed by Rand Bishop. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Crow's Feet, Life as We Age. Don't miss any of our great stories. Subscribe to Crow's Feet wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends and family to give a listen to and leave a rating or review. You can read more Crow's Feet stories online at medium.com forward slash crows hyphen feet. So until next time, remember to savor every moment. As Joan Collins said, age is just a number. It's totally irrelevant. Unless, of course, you happen to be a bottle of wine. How about making friends with your crow's feet?